I love to drive. Like hour-long drives to nowhere with no destination in mind. Just me, my music, and the road ahead of me. Living in Nebraska, I'd often take back roads or lonely highways cutting through the countryside to small towns and eventually cities, and I'd usually take these drives at night since there was less traffic to worry about. I've done it since I've had my license four or five years ago, and I'd never once had any sort of issue, nor have I ever run into any trouble. That was until a few nights ago. For reference, I'm a relatively small 22-year-old female, and as I've stated before, I often take these drives completely and utterly alone. They're a good way to clear my head when I'm stressed, upset, or overwhelmed, or for me to get a plan together to sort some personal issues out. I've also done these long and lonely drives to get away from the toxicity of my household when I used to live with my parents as a mean of coping with their alcoholism. Though now that I've moved out, I am in a much better place mentally, and I don't have the urge to really get in my car and just drive anymore. However, on the night that this took place, I was feeling pretty overwhelmed, stressed, and anxious with a clusterfuck of personal issues I'd rather not get into. I felt restless and irritable around my boyfriend. I couldn't focus on anything else, and I decided I would take a drive to clear my head. My boyfriend was understanding and told me to be careful and to not be gone for too terribly long, since it was getting pretty late. I agreed, gave him a kiss goodbye, and left. I drove around our city for about 30 minutes, but I was still feeling on edge about everything transpiring in my personal life, so I decided to drive further down the road, down those familiar, dark, winding, one-lane highways. I kept the car at a steady 65 miles per hour, taking the turns at a slower pace in case a deer jumped out around the bend, and was just admiring the vast empty darkness of the snow-capped fields and barren trees. It was honestly a bit creepy being all alone with no cars in sight, and seemingly the middle of nowhere, the few houses miles back from the road, lightless and the dead cornfields withered away and covered in the snow. It was like something out of a horror movie. And I half expected to see a ghost pop up in my rearview mirror or see someone clamber out of the patches of trees dotting the horizon. The only light came from my headlights. And even then, I still strained to see through the inky darkness of the night. By now, it was just after 11, and I told myself that once I made the familiar roundabout that would either take you to a small town or back up towards the city, I would head back to the city and go home. That roundabout was still maybe 15 to 25 minutes away, but other than my imagination picturing the worst, I wasn't really all that concerned. I mean... I was by myself, and I didn't have any other motorists to worry about, right? Wrong. As I'm rounding another bend, I notice a vehicle with its hazards flashing, maybe a quarter of a mile or something away from me. It was some sort of sedan, dark colored, and was angled to where only a part of it was on the shoulder, while the rest was jutted out onto the road. Like they had to pull over in a hurry, but didn't quite manage to do that. The driver's side door was flung wide open. And as I slowed my vehicle down and angled it to the opposite side of the road to pass, I could make out what looked like maybe blood on the inside of the open door. I didn't see anyone on the road or in the car. I was the only motorist in sight. Cell phone reception is spotty at best in this part of the country, but more often than not, you couldn't get reception no matter how hard you prayed. 
which was definitely the case when I took a glance at my phone to see if I had any service. So, a lone female on the road, at night, pulling up near a vacant vehicle that looks like someone had been attacked on the inside, with no cell phone service. Now, I'm no dummy. I've watched countless episodes of Investigation Discovery and Criminal Minds, and read far too many true crime books to know that this had bad and danger written all over it. But there was still a small part of me that worried something terrible had happened to whoever was in that vehicle, and I thought I needed to help. These roads don't get a lot of traffic late at night, and temperatures were well below freezing. If someone was hurt or in trouble, there was no one or nothing else to help them but me. Still, I erred on the side of caution. I was still driving my car, though a bit more slowly, and as I approached a vehicle, I rolled down my passenger window a bit, shut off the music, and called out, Hey! Anyone there? Are you okay? I didn't hear a response. I worried they passed out somewhere, but I wasn't about to get out and look for them. I told myself that I'd call out one last time, and if I didn't hear anything, I would leave, and the moment that I got cell phone reception, I'd call it in, and if I did hear someone, well, I'd figure out my next course of action then. So again I shout, hey, what happened? Are you okay? There was silence for a beat. Then I heard rustling in the shadows of the trees, followed by a gruff voice saying, Yeah. I was relieved at first and was about to say something in response or possibly even stop my car and get out when I noticed three things nearly simultaneously. As I inched my way past the front of the sedan, I noticed that there was no damage to the hood or anywhere else on the vehicle, which I found to be strange considering the blood on the inside of the door. In my rearview mirror, I caught a glance of someone coming out from behind the sedan, and they were making their way towards my car fast. The person did not have any blood on them or appeared injured in any way. They were wearing a mask, not like a face mask for COVID or a ski mask or anything normal, but one of those masks you see in the Purge movies, and they were holding something in their hand. I don't know what it was, and I couldn't really get a good look, but from its length and shape, my guess was maybe a tire iron or a crowbar or something. I don't need to tell you, that I slammed on the gas the moment I noticed those things. I drove like a bat straight out of hell, my heart thundering in my chest and my entire body shaking. My window was still rolled down in my haste, and the music was still shut off, so I could very clearly hear someone, definitely a man, shouting at me, though I had no clue what they were saying. I just knew I had to get out of there immediately. I stole one last look in my rearview mirror as I drove away, mostly to see if they were getting in their sedan to follow Chase or if they had stopped. The man with the weapon was still standing in the middle of the road, watching me. Right before I looked away from the mirror, I saw a second man emerge from the trees that had been rustling earlier, also wearing one of those creepy masks. I probably broke every law speeding that night, but I wanted to get as far away from those men as possible. As soon as I made it to the roundabout, I turned towards the town, parked in a Walmart parking lot that thankfully still had cars from who I assume were workers closing up shop, and proceeded to have a full-on meltdown. When I could pull myself together, I called one of my friends T, 
who was a police officer, to tell him what happened and what I should do. He was concerned for me, and after asking if I was okay, where I was, did they follow me, etc., told me since it was out of his city limits, he couldn't do much on his end, but he could get in contact with the local police and sheriff in that jurisdiction to take my statement and check it out. I agreed, thanked him, and while I waited for the police to show up, I called my boyfriend. Through my hysterical sobs and panic, I managed to tell him what happened not even ten or so minutes ago. He was, as you could imagine, super freaked for my safety and wanted me to either come home immediately or drive down himself to take me home. I told him the police were on their way to take my statement so I couldn't leave and that I was okay. But I stayed on the phone with him until I saw the familiar police cruisers pull into the parking lot. I gave the police my statement and they assured me that they would get back to the spot I told them about and that they would try to catch the guys who did it. Though, with no cameras and no description of the men, I wasn't sure they'd be able to. I didn't even get a license plate number. Though at the time of my panic, the thought never came to mind until the police were asking if I got it. All they had to go off of was dark-colored sedan two guys with masks. After I gave my statement, I went home and stayed curled up close to my boyfriend the whole night, listening to every sound the house made in fear that it would be those guys arriving at any minute to finish whatever it was that they wanted to start. Since the incident, I haven't heard back from the police about whether or not they had any leads. I'm not sure they ever will. I'm just thankful that I'm still here and that I didn't stop my car or get out. I'm not sure what would have become of me if I had. I still have so many questions that have no answers. What were they doing? Why? Was that blood on the inside of the car? Or just a ruse to get more attention? If it was really blood, did they hurt someone else? What would have happened to me if I stopped my car? Needless to say, I won't be going on any more late night drives to anywhere. And I hope I never cross paths with those freaks again. So uh, about five years ago, um, my friends and I, we go camping. It's four of us. It's me, Raymond, Steve, and uh, and Adrian. So we go camping to this uh, one campsite in Matura, uh, Matura California. And uh, we, uh, we, know, we look at the weather, how it's going to be for the weekend, and it's going to be a huge-ass storm. And so we still want to go camping because, you know, that's how we are. So to combat the... To combat the storm as much as possible, we call, uh, we bring this uh, big uh, this big blue uh, this big blue tarp, you know, about like 40, uh, 40 feet long. So uh, we use it. Uh, so when we get there, we set up the tents. It's a, uh, it's two two person tents. It's me and Raymond in one one tent, and another tent. It's uh, Steve and Adrian. So we set up the we set up the uh, the tents about ten yards away from each other, and then we set up the tarps. Uh, we sit it over us and uh, underneath us just to combat the, the, the rain as much as possible. So everything's going good. So when nighttime comes, we go to sleep. And uh, they're still up. We're still up. And I tell my friend uh, Raymond, like, yo, let's, uh, let's, play, let's play a prank on them. So we start 69 them. And, they, and they're freaking out because, you know, it's... Uh, it's a call that they don't have registered. So when they answer the phone, they answer like all timid. So once they pick up, they're like, hello? And me, just being the type of guy I am, I just start breathing heavily into the phone and I hang up and we're covering our laughter 
because they, we don't want them to know it was us. And so we hear them freaking out. So I call them again one more time. They pick up. Hello. And the same thing. I'm just breathing heavily into the phone. And I just hang up. And at this point, they're freaking out. They want to call the park ranger or the police or someone to, you know, to save their asses. And so I call them one more time. And once they pick up, they're like, you know what? I'm getting tired of this. I'm going to call the cops if you keep on calling us like this. And and uh, my friend and I were just laughing our asses off. So we start moaning into the phone. And at this point, they know it's us. And they just we just hear them uh, from their side of the, uh, from their tent just cussing us out. And I just tell them, you know, good night, guys. So, uh, so, so they're still up. I fall asleep immediately. And uh, a couple minutes or hour pass. And this is their story because I was asleep at this point that they, they hear footsteps walking towards our tent and they hear the footsteps walking around our tent. And they can tell it's somebody heavy because the way that they're, they're stepping on the, on the plastic tarp, it's, easy, it's something that you could easily hear. And we just hear, and they, just, they just hear the person just walking figure eights around our tent, like around like five times. So the footsteps stop in between our tents and they're there for a good minute. And they know that the person, whoever it is, is still there. At this point, they think it's us trying to still play the prank. And my friend who's still asleep, but still awake, uh, they think it's them trying to get revenge on me for uh, playing a prank on them. So the person is still standing in between our tents, but no one's looking out of their tent. The footsteps don't walk away. So that means that they're still there. So after a while of complete silence, my buddy's tent, there, somebody, the person slowly opens up their tent and they're pretending that they're asleep, but they're looking at the, they're looking at the tent's uh, door the whole time. And they're freaking out because it's slowly opening and just a black, uh, a silhouette of a person just sticks their head inside the tent. And they're, sh- they're, they're shitting bricks, but they keep on pretending that they're asleep. Then once the person is looking more inside the tent, he opens it all the way, steps inside the tent, looks at the both of them, and just walks away, leaving the tent door open. And they're too afraid to close the tent. So I, I, th- I think that they, uh, they slept with the tent open because they're, they're too chicken shit to uh, go and close the tent. Well, uh, when morning comes, and I'm the first one up, and I'm making pancakes, so when they leave their tent, they're just cussing me out, saying that that's the worst prank I've ever pulled. And, you know, I kind of feel bad for, you know, for calling them, so I apologize. Like, hey, you know, I'm sorry about uh, about the whole tent, uh, about the whole uh, phone call. And they're like, we don't care about that. You're a fucking asshole for scaring us like that by, by going inside our tent in the middle of the night. And I'm confused because, you know, I didn't do it. And then my friend uh, that I'm staying in the same tent uh, with, he wakes up and he's like, the fuck? I thought it was you guys walking in our tent. And so we're just arguing with each other, going back and forth, saying like, no, no, it was you walking around our tent and they're accusing us of us going inside their tent. And in the middle of us just accusing of each other of playing, the, of playing that prank, some guy uh, comes uh, walking towards us. Some, some like 40-year-old dude balding, and he just reeks of the smell of alcohol. And he walks up to our tents and he's like, hey boys, good morning. He has a super raspy smoker boy, uh, smoker's voice. He just tells us, hey, good morning, good boys. How was last night? Did you guys sleep well? And it instantly clicks in all of our minds that this was the dude walking around our tents. And he was the one that went inside my friend's tent. And he, the, the dude's just trying to make conversation with us. But we're just getting the worst vibes from this dude. And, like, for no reason, he, like, why is this guy going up to our tent like that, to our campsite? So he walks away. So he leaves, and he just walks away to his RV. Then, uh, so we're like, that's the fucking dude that uh, went up to our tent in the middle of the night. So uh, this is after breakfast. We're all washing dishes and all that. And then he comes back to our tent 
our camping camping area again. And he's like, hey, boys, want to go hang out in my, my RV? And we're like, what the fuck? Like, no, dude, we're, we're good. And he, he, like, he leaves again. Then, you know, like an hour passes and he comes back to our, our campsite. And he's just trying to convince us to go inside our RV. He's like, do you guys want to buy my RV? I don't need it anymore. And we're like, dude, we're fucking good. And so he eventually just comes, he eventually leaves. And I tell my buddy, he's like, dude, if this guy doesn't leave us alone, we're just going to be a disaster or something. Because we're pretty sure that he was the one that, uh, that was stalking us in the middle of the night. Yeah, so, uh, so we're looking around, uh, we're looking around to see where his RV is. And, uh, eventually uh, before nighttime comes, uh, he leaves. So, you know, we stay an extra night and nothing happens. So we're totally convinced that that was the dude that, uh, went inside our tent, went inside my buddy's tent in the middle of the night. The end. I went on a little hiking trip with my dad to Shasta, California, a small town in Northern California near the Oregon border. Shasta is home to a potentially active volcano named, of course, Mount Shasta. There are many trails on Mount Shasta, so my father and I were excited to do some hiking. We drove up to the side of the mountain to the parking lot in which one of the trails begins. I believe it was called the Old Ski Bow Trail. The landscape was a very barren incline, filled with rocks, boulders, dirt, and very few trees. About an hour into the trail, we came across a very odd assembly of these large boulders. They were arranged in a circle. We thought it was strange, but we continued on. If you look up pictures of the trail, you'll see much smaller rocks arranged in patterns and circles. My father and I only encountered three people. At least, that's what they appeared to be at first. The first two were a father and son. We met them on a steep incline that went along the wall of a cliff that would then switch back as if it reached the top of the cliff. We stopped and said hello talked about the trail, and then went about our separate ways. Here's where it gets weird. My dad and I kept walking up the incline for about two minutes. I turned around and I saw the father and son way down the trail. It should have taken them at least 20 minutes to get down to where they were. But somehow, they were only there in two minutes. To this day, I have absolutely no clue how that could have happened. There was no one else on the trail at that point, and I could see the color of their clothes from that distance, so I knew it was them. I pointed it out to my dad, and we thought it was weird, but we didn't dwell on it, so we kept going. And here is where it gets so much weirder. As we reached the top of the cliff, there was another strange rock arrangement that was off to the side of the trail. This time, there were far more rocks than before, and they were now arranged in rows, almost like gravestones. We continued on the trail and reached another sort of incline with a switchback to reach the top of another cliff. We reached a point where we would need climbing gear to continue, so we decided to head back. When we turned around, I saw a man standing among the rocks, staring at us. He was wearing a button-up shirt, cargo shorts, and a wide-brimmed straw hat. He was at a distance where I should have been able to make out his facial features, but it was almost as if he had none, like his face was just flesh and skin. I pointed him out to my dad and then the man quickly dug down behind a boulder and was peering out at us over the top of the boulder. 
It seemed almost playful, like a child trying to hide. For a few moments, I was out of it, and I have no recollection of what was going on. According to my dad, I just started walking towards the man in the hat. My dad was calling out to me, Joshua, Josh, what are you doing? Where are you going? And then I came too. I was standing right at the edge of a cliff. It was a huge drop, enough to kill me or seriously injure me. My dad grabbed me and pulled me back into the trail. He told me to stay put and my dad went down to the boulders to search for the man, but he wasn't there. There was nowhere for him to go except up or down the trail. It didn't make any sense. He just disappeared. I have no idea what was going on in that trail, and I have no explanation for it. I told this story many times to family and friends, and no one has an explanation. I've done research and found similar stories about encounters with a man with no facial features wearing a hat. I've also read that the Native American tribes from the area viewed Mount Shasta as a holy site. They believe it could act as a portal to other dimensions and that it is guarded by spirits who would potentially harm anyone who tried to go up the volcano. If anybody has any similar experiences or any insight at all, I would love to hear. Please share anything you have to offer. Thanks for listening. Hey, Mike. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to thank you for putting on the podcast. always gives me something to look forward to when there's a new episode out. I, uh, I just wanted to tell you a brief story about a supernatural event that happened when I was younger um, that has stuck with me since. That is kind of, uh, I still, still don't quite know the answer to. So to give you a, a quick background. Um, I'm from a small rural town in upstate New York, not quite the middle of nowhere, but uh, far from a big city. And we used to play manhunt there when we were younger. Um, we used to play at the local middle school in, a, in our small little village. Um, so there'd be groups of us, you know, 10, 20 kids would, you know, show up there. It was about to get dark. And we would use the middle school as kind of the, the center reference point. Um, around to the left and back was more open fields. And then the back field and then to the right of the middle school was a pretty dense wooded area where a lot of the hiding would take place because uh, that would be a good spot to get away and get out of sight. It was pretty dark back there, minus the, the few lights that the school had um and and there was a few stories circulating about the school and kind of being haunted um it was said that the library was haunted um the local janitor told us a few stories about doors being opened and shut in there or you know he would put all the table or chairs up on the table and he'd come back and they were all back on the ground just stuff like that which we don't quite know if it was true or if he was just messing with us because we were young kids. Um, but there was actually a death in the construction of the gym, um, which we confirmed um, through records that one guy was unfortunately killed while they were constructing it way, way, way back in the day. Um, so it would be a little spooky by the gym, um, you know, lights flickering on and off, just silly stuff like that that I wouldn't pay much attention to because it was an old building um, which is I don't know if this has anything to do with the event that occurred I just wanted to throw that out there that there was some other you know spooky stuff attached to this building um, so now I'll hop right into uh, when the event happened so it was me and my friend I still remember um, 
we were up. I could show you the specific tree that we were up. We climbed up this tree. We were probably fairly high up, 10, 20 feet up off the ground, hiding um, pitch black. So it was, it was pretty much impossible for people to see us if we were being quiet. You know, they could walk right by us and, and they, they wouldn't see us and wouldn't think to look there. And so we were probably up there for a couple minutes uh, waiting for people to come or waiting for a good opportunity to hop off and get back to base safely when I still can remember it to this day where we heard what sounded to be like a little girl's laughter. And, and I'll tell you, me and my friend both just looked at each other. We didn't say anything. We just both looked at each other with a bewildered look in our eyes both jumped right down from the tree and ran back to base as fast as we could. Uh, we get back to base. We're both out of breath, obviously. And, and we look and turn to each other. Did, did you hear that? And he goes, yeah, did, you do hear that too. And I, I was like, yeah. And, and we both decided that it, it sounded like a little girl's laughter. Um, and we were, we were trying to think of, oh, you know, what could it have been? was someone messing with us and then next thing you know another buddy of ours comes running for his life around the corner gets to us out of breath and we can already tell by the look on his face that he had also heard it and so be it he, he goes I just heard a little girl's laughter in the woods and this was this had to have been a couple minutes two three four five minutes after we had already got back so it was a different different laughter and then shortly thereafter everyone else returned to base so then that's what really kind of struck me is, is that another person in a completely different instinct that had to have been minutes after heard the same exact thing as me and my buddy uh and i i try to think i'm i like to I like to think scientifically for the most part. So, you know, we were talking and trying to figure out just what it was. The closest thing someone could think of was maybe it was a deer. There were a lot of deers out where we were, and I guess they do make some weird noises um, at night. But I've, I've heard deer, I have them in my backyard, and I've heard the noises that they make, and it was nothing, nothing like this. This was an extinct little girl just just laughing like you hear you know and kind of like the scary movie the little deranged girls laughing it was that kind of laughter uh, and, and to this day it still makes me think what exactly that was and what what events had happened to me and the few friends that that witnessed it uh so thanks again for listening and putting on the podcast Scarecast hotline at 213-320-0390. You can remain anonymous and we're... But I'm not even thinking about it, and I love horror films. So, me and my daughter, we move in. My daughter, she is about seven at the time. Haley, we, uh, we move in first night there. I deliver pizza, and I'd been having a really busy night, non-stop back and forth without any time to even pause and take a leak. I'd been so busy that I wasn't really thinking about bathroom breaks, but we're also going through a bit of a heat wave in our area, so I've been drinking copious amounts of water. All of a sudden as I'm driving to this particular delivery, the urge to go hit me. 
Like, things went from zero to 60 in an instant. Thankfully, I was close to the customer so I can get this one over with quickly. Or so I thought. I pulled up to the house and it wasn't an area I delivered in before. So I could immediately see that something wasn't right. All the lights were off in the house. Not even the glow of a television or anything. It was extra apparent because the street light closest to the door happened to be out of order. And on top of it all, the block was dead quiet. This is a big university area, and obviously there aren't many student renters in July, but there had to be at least one person because someone ordered this pizza. Maybe they just like sitting in the dark, or maybe they were in the backyard, whatever. I just didn't want to get out of my car and knock on a quiet house in the middle of the night without first checking that I had the correct address and the customer was inside. It was scorching hot that night, even after sundown, and my car's AC is a joke, and the piping hot pizzas don't help much either. So I try to open the door as infrequently as possible to keep any cool air in. I called the number the customer provided, and the voice on the other end said, kind of out of breath, yeah, I just tried to keep things clear and concise. Hey, it's your pizza out front, but there doesn't appear to be anybody home. And the customer replied, still gasping for air. Yeah, I'm, I'm not home. I had to pee so badly by that point that I was much less patient than I'd otherwise be with a customer right out of the gate. Well, then we're going to have to terminate the order because I've arrived in a stated delivery window and you were supposed to pay in cash. So, I don't know what to tell you. Plan ahead next time. I instantly regretted letting my bladder do the talking for me, as the voice on the other end came through more clearly, as a young, bubbly, and very distraught girl who could have been older than 20 or 25. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I was running down the street so I could barely hear you. She cried. I just switched out of my AirPods. Is that better? Sorry. I completely lost track of time at work, but I knew you were coming. That's why I'm literally running home right now. But please don't leave. I'm starving and I don't have a car. Seriously, please, please don't leave. Five minutes tops, okay? I know what it's like to be hungry and running late. And have no car but not live near any restaurants. Plus, when I heard her voice, I began to remember more specifically having delivered to this place a couple of times before, and she'd always been perfectly nice. Now, I felt bad for snapping on her. I tried to walk it back, while simultaneously looking out my window for potential spots to pee. No, no, my bad. I'm letting the heat get to me, and it's not your fault. No need to rush. See you when you get here. I hung up. And while surveying the street, was starting to think I was really out of luck. All the other houses had people in them and were close together. So there were no clumps of trees or out of the way patches of land or anything. Of course, I had just tossed my empty water bottle at the last delivery because I'm an idiot. Finally, I decided it was escalating to the point of an emergency, and the safest bet was to use a bush in front of the woman's house. She wasn't home, the streetlight was out so no one would see me. The people who were home were inside. My car was parked across the street, and we're a small shop who don't wear uniforms, so if someone did spot me, they'd have no way to connect me to my employer. Animals pee outside all the time, Humans are animals. This is fine. I scurried over to the tallest bush in her front yard. She didn't really have much of a yard. More just a walkway lined with bushes and flowers that ran adjacent to her front door. 
the biggest cluster of bushes, the only one where I could be sure that there would be no visible splatter on the side of the house, was about four feet from our door. I looked both ways, unzipped, and let it fly. After the initial millisecond of relief, I noticed the sound was way off. More like pissing on something solid than something leafy. I started panicking, thinking I'd aimed wrong. But once I start, I can't stop midstream, so I keep squinting into the darkness to see if maybe I was hitting a key rock or something and try to move a few inches away. Instead, all of a sudden, I hear a more concerning noise. A deep voice exclaiming, What the fuck? And before I could turn around, assuming I'd been caught by the neighbor, a man came leaping out of the bushes. He blew by me, brushing my golden shower off him as he did. He spit pretty emphatically on the ground, so I think I might have beamed him right in the face. I didn't see where he went after a few paces, but though this next part is kind of a blur, I do think I remember hearing a car screech out from a bit further away after a minute. I got in some night vision by that point, so I was able to make out his height, build, and outfit, but only the most general details of each. I was in such shock that I didn't even put my thing away. I just stood there trying to figure out what happened. Reality was so terrifying that my mind refused to accept it and impulsively searched for a reasonable explanation that can make everything okay. Could these bushes lead to some backyard area and just look like they were against a house? Could they have been obscuring an open window? My inner voice was desperately screaming. Bruh, that man was wearing a hoodie in 90 degree weather. That was a bad man. You're in a bad situation. But the very idea that I was within inches of a guy who would be hiding in the bushes at all, let alone in front of a young woman's house at night, just wasn't something I was ready to grapple with. I was coping by not coping. My fight or flight response totally felt me at that point because my dumbass did the absolute last thing I should have done and approached the bushes to try and validate this. There must have been a good reason for the man in a hoodie to be behind these bushes in the middle of the night theory. So I walked over to the side, turned on my phone flashlight and tried to peer around the line of shrubbery. Pro tip, as scary as things may look in the dark, seeing them with a single beam of your flashlight can sometimes make it worse. That's when I saw the bag. There was a tattered drawstring bag sitting behind the bushes, slightly splashed with pee, but I was in such a moronic daze from shock that I groped around it for thinking, see, this is it. This will explain why he was back here. It explained it all right. Once I maneuvered it over and pulled it open, I saw a sharp knife, a roll of duct tape, and a bottle of pills. The delusions officially broke at that point and all the adrenaline, endorphins, and self-preservation instincts that had been suppressed kicked in ten times over. I became whatever the opposite of dazed is, more laser focused than I ever been in my entire life, with one singular goal, get back to my car. I dropped the bag, booked it across the street, got in my car and slammed the pedal to the floor before the door was even all the way closed. I went as far as I could, as fast as I could, until I hit a red signal. Then I pulled off to the side and realized that I shouldn't be driving any more than necessary in the condition I was in. I pulled into the parking lot of a 24-hour drugstore and took a breath. I was finally calm and coherent enough to zip up and formulate a plan of action. My first lucid thought was, who do I call first, the police or the girl whose house that was? 
I thought about it for what couldn't have really been more than 10 seconds, but felt like an hour, and decided, okay, I am in my locked car with the engine running. If trouble starts, I can drive away. I know something's up. She might not. She needs to know not to keep walking in that direction. But as I was dialing her number, it occurred to me. What if there was no girl? I thought I remembered delivering to that house before. But what if I was wrong? What if the girl on the phone was just a decoy to get me there to rob me? Or worse, every pizza guy on the planet has seen the evil genius documentary by now. So I thought, she called me out of breath. She wasn't home. The whole thing was off. I can't risk it. I, I'll start with the cops. I called 911. The operator was very helpful in keeping me calm because I was a complete wreck by this point. He kept assuring me that someone would be there soon. I kept telling them that they had to get there before the girl did. But I was trying to express three thoughts at once and really damaging my own credibility. It came out more as, you've got to save this girl because he wasn't after me. I was just delivering a pizza. Unless they were after me, in which case there might not be a girl. But I talked to one on the phone. So then you should find that girl because they used her to lure me there. But if she's real, she doesn't know about the guy who was also real. And there could be more guys if there's actually a girl. And you know what? Uh, even if there isn't a girl, there might actually be more guys. I only checked one part of the bushes, so I don't actually know. But we'll know which guy is the one I saw because I pissed all over him. You know? I didn't mean to, but... This was back when I thought the girl was real, but not home. But she might be real, so you really need to find her, okay? If she is, because the guy was real. Finally, they basically just asked me to stop talking and stay on the line. But that was when I saw an incoming call from the customer. I couldn't answer it without disrupting my 911 call. So I just ignored it. But then she sent me this text like, Hey, I'm here, I don't see you. And I told 911 that she was there. And they said officers were only minutes away. But who knows how long that meant. Especially after I'd given such scattered accounts of the events and my panic. I just felt overwhelmed with guilt. Because my rational mind said the odds of her being a decoy girl were some large scam targeting pizza guys were low, and the odds of her being the intended victim of a predator were high. So I put my 911 call on mute, where I can hear them but they can't hear me, and turned back, heart absolutely pounding out of my chest, compulsively muttering, fuck, 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 the entire way. Then I took 911 off mute and told them that I returned to look for the girl. They weren't happy about that, but I saw her meandering past the parked cars in the street, looking to see if one of them was mine. And I waved her down, flashing my brights. She bounced on over to the window of my car, happy-go-lucky. I figured that was a good sign that she wasn't in on whatever this was. But I was just so scared to be back in the general area and to not know what had just happened or what was going to happen. I kept whispering, get in, get in. And she was like, get it, huh? Oh, you want me to get the pizza from the back? I didn't want to make the same mistake with her that I had made with 911. So instead of trying to tell the whole story, I stuck to the bare basic facts. Th th there's a man in your bushes. I'm on the phone with the police. I don't know where he is right now. P please just get in the car so we can lock the doors. I was barely able to get even those sentences out. And I was shaking like I had 10 cups of black coffee. I held up my phone with 911 on the call screen to verify it for her. I thought that was why she got in the car 
with no further explanation. But it turns out that that wasn't entirely it. You still there? Is she with you? Are you safe? Is anyone else there? 911 kept checking in, not knowing who the third party I was talking to was. I reassured them, and we drove, more cautiously this time, to a location 911 instructed us to wait at to speak with police after they cleared the area. I didn't have to do much after that. The police came pretty soon after. A police car met us. I gave a statement telling them everything I observed, and she went to go speak to more officers in more detail than they needed me for. It turns out that the reason she got right into a strange pizza guy's car without probing any deeper into the story is because she knew who the man was right away from my description. She had an abusive ex-boyfriend who was apparently psychotic enough that he immediately came to mind from hearing, there's a guy in your bushes. She later called us to thank me and insisted on leaving a huge tip. I wasn't there when the call came in so the kid who answered didn't know how to refuse to accept the money. But the manager already promised that the next time we see her, we can load her up with enough one free pie cards to last a lifetime. That was easily the scariest thing that has ever happened to me, on the job or off. I don't get the chance to tell the story much because I try to avoid sharing it with anyone who could possibly know the girl or know of the event. But I'm still not the same since. Even though I know he didn't have anything to do with me directly, this truly shook me to my core. So, man in the bushes, let's not meet. <laughs>